0: we are learning to think orange and as you know orange is a secondary color which is uh, formed by combining yellow and red and in this in this series uh, the church as the light of the world is represented by the color yellow and the family is represented by the color red And so the the purpose of this series is to encourage us for the church and the family to work together, not in competition with each other, to better teach our children and to train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And our key text is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and following, uh, a text that is known in Israel as the Shema. Jesus was asked on one occasion, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And so it's a very important text. And to this point in our study, we've learned two things about the Shema. First of all, it is a call to listen, to listen to the Word of God. But secondly, it is also a call to love, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. This morning, we especially want to emphasize verse 7. And this is where parents and grandparents and and any of us, any of us who have any kind of influence upon our children, love our children, want to impress upon them, influence them to love the Lord. This is a text that especially encourages us to teach, to teach our children. And so when you think about it, when you, when you look at, at Deuteronomy 6, you know, we said a week or so ago that not only is this a very individual text, but it is a very communal text as well. And we made the point that we need to widen the circle and emphasizing that uh, the church, as a congregation, we too need to be assisting and helping and equipping our parents to raise their children. So the call to listen and the call to love has moved from the individual level to the congregational or communal level and now to the family. And so before looking at verse 7, parents, I want to say two things. This text implies a couple of things. First of all, parental responsibility. Remember the illustration, you have approximately 3,000 waking hours each year to impress upon your children the way of the Lord, to teach them, to influence them, to dialogue with them versus the number of hours that the church has. And so again, understanding your parental responsibility. But I think also implied in this text, and we're, we're gonna talk a lot about uh, rhythm this morning, we're gonna talk a lot about uh, talking, you know, sharing, verbally communicating with our children. But implied in that is, is not only communicating, but also modeling. It, it becomes a heart issue. And as we've learned uh, throughout this study, Things that are embedded within our hearts are are the things that naturally flow out. And and how we feel and how we think uh, goes a long way in how we live and what we do. And so our walk, parents, must match our talk. So parental responsibility and parental modeling so let's look at this text uh, for just a moment deuteronomy 6 i'm going to go ahead and read uh, verses and i'm not very good left-handed here i'm going to go ahead and and read uh, beginning with verse uh, 4 but we'll we'll focus on verse 7. hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one there's the call to listen Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. There's the call to love. But then listen, verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. A couple of important words here. I, I see two imperatives. First of all, the NIV reads impress. That word impress I think we discussed briefly a week or so ago. And it means to to communicate in such a way that you leave an impression. You leave a mark, if you will. In fact, uh, the root form of this word uh, suggests to sharpen or maybe even to mold, uh, to craft in a certain way. Also implied by this word is the idea of of repetition, of, of repeating. And so these are Things that we are to do constantly. So, impress, but then secondly, talk about. The law was to be the topic of ordinary conversation in ordinary homes, in ordinary lives. There is no time when God's Word should not be a part of our lives. God's Word should be our preoccupation throughout the entire day. We we would say 24-7. In fact, Moses does something in this text rhetorically to communicate this important idea. He he puts together several opposites which imply everything in between. He says to sit and then he says to walk. He says at home and then on the road. He says when you lie down and when you get up. He says, on your uh, foreheads and on your hands. He says, on the door frames of your homes and on the gates of the city. So he puts together these, these opposites. And, and again, it's a, it's a rhetorical device to imply everything in between. And so God's word is to be communicated 24-7. Wherever we are, whatever we might be doing. One of the words that uh, I have learned from Jared is the word rhythm. And and unfortunately, it's it's not about how I move when my favorite song comes on. We're not talking about that kind of rhythm. But, But a pace. Um, a model, a paradigm, if you will, of of what occurs in our families from the time we awake in the morning until the time we finally fall asleep at night. And so this idea of being in, in a rhythm, a rhythm where we are impressing upon our children who God is, who we are as God's children, in what God expects of us. And so I'm going to turn things over to Jared now, and Jared's going to talk a lot about rhythm, bring it home. I'm on the way to D.
1: Oklahoma. Bill, be careful. If you didn't think uh, Randy could be done preaching by 11 o'clock, you're wrong. We just got to get, get him in there at first, right? So one of the things I've enjoyed about this series is that that Randy has, has on every Sunday, in, in my opinion, uh, kind of pulled out the tee, put the ball on the tee, and said, Jared, okay, go hit. Uh, I, I feel like he's kind of given me the ability to, to, to get up here and say the things that I get to say because he's done a really incredible job of being a Bible guy and helping us understand the Scripture more. And I get to use the phrase that, so I think this is what it looks like. So this is what I think it looks like. This whole concept of rhythm. When we think about uh, impressing these things on our children, and we think about teaching them the things God has done, we kind of go into this era of of, of compartmentalizing. That, okay, check, I did it. I took him to Sunday school. Check, we stayed in church, and I sat on him so he would stay still. Check, check. We went to Wednesday night. Check. We went to life groups. And we compartmentalize our time of teaching our children about God. When what Moses is saying, when you sit and when you walk, when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you lie down and when you get up, when you're on your door frames and on your gates, I want you to tell about it, I want you to write about it, I want you to show them. In every way possible, in your whole life, in your rhythm of your life, God's got to be woven into it. He can't be just a compartment that we say, check, we've done it. And so as we we think about sharing with our children, I think it kind of looks a little bit like this. In my house, uh, my wife has found some incredible gems at Hobby Lobby. There's this one particular one. And it says "Show kindness," and I see it often, but not enough. See, right now, currently, it hasn't hung up. I, she wants some paintings and some stuff hung up, some some things hung up, and I'm one of those that will take. Uh, at least 45 minutes to figure out where one of the holes were the thing that goes on, and then the next hole that goes next to it, to level that off, that's at least two more days. And so if I'm going to make a hole in the wall, it's got to be perfect. But this show kindness is in our house. And Hobby Lobby has made some pretty good money off of these things. But I think there's something that happens. When I walk in and I see something that says. Show kindness on my wall. Because you know when when I'm out here with you guys. It's easy to show kindness. But at home. When I'm with my family. I can drop my guard a little bit. I can get irritated. And they're incredibly safe. For me to let kindness go out the door. But. In my everyday rhythm. If on my wall I see show kindness. I'm picking that up. It's no different than what Notre Dame did years ago. when, When they had this sign that said. What was it? Anybody know it? Go be a great player today. Go be a champion today. And as they would walk out they would see. Go be a champion today. And they would hit that sign as they entered into the, into the football field. And on their minds, they had just remembered, I hit that sign. We had a similar sign in high school. We weren't as good as Notre Dame. But we had it there on the board, on the, on the door. And as we walked out, we would slap that and it said four letters. And those four letters represented something that we were called to be as we were walking through that door frame. And we were reminded of that as we were walking about school, as we were interacting with our teachers. So what is it that's on your walls? What is it that's on your door frames? What do your kids, or what do you see when you wake up in the morning and you go in the bathroom and you look at the mirror? Is there something there that says, you're wonderfully and magnificently made? When you go into the kitchen and you look at your refrigerator, is there a scripture there that you're trying to memorize? What is it that you see? What are on your doors? What are on your gates? I think it looks like this in conversations and in events. I I've been able to coach Shane Drew in, in basketball when they were younger in Little League and now Gavin. And in both, with all three kids, in both instances, there's been a game, nonetheless, that everybody behind me is screaming like crazy. And, and, the, and the, the intensity on the floor has just risen to a new level. And the kids on the other team are doing all the fouling and weren't doing none of them, right? And the kids come in and... you've called a timeout and you're trying to regroup them and and, and the crowd's just yelling and that crowd's kind of yelling and and it's just real intense and the kids are just kind of flustered. And one of the statements that I've used is, hey, we, we need to play our game. I can remember distinctly this last season looking at these boys and saying, guys, we need to play basketball. That's what we came here to do. We need to play our game. And this is what I think takes place. When I'm reminding them to to ignore the crowd, when I'm reminding them to forget about the other team fouling them or or not playing right, when I remind them uh, that that it doesn't matter what the score is, that our focus is is on the court to play the game, that we came here to play and to enjoy it, I kind of feel a little bit like Paul when he's looking at his Philippian brothers and he's saying, guys... No matter what the crowd, no matter the persecution that's coming, no matter the yelling and the screaming and the ugliness, no matter any of that, play your game. So I think in our conversations, as we're sharing with them, as we're talking with them and how they're dealing with, 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 with life or with sports or with school, and I think it takes because Drew, when she was younger, she... I called a timeout, and I started to tell him our game plan, and Drew looked at me and says, Dad, let us play our game. Let us play our game. It was actually a movie quote, but she, she was excited. She wanted to go and play basketball. That's what she was there to do. I think it looks like this. My son comes home from school, and he's having one of those cruddy days. Like You know it's been bad, but you don't know why. He just has an attitude with you, right? And we start talking with him. And his day was really rough. And there's a conversation that takes place next. And that conversation, Moses is saying, when you walk and when you sit, when you lie down at night, and you rise up in the morning, and press on your children. So as I'm trying to figure out What to say to him, because this is when I grew up. Don't throw the first punch, but what? Make sure you throw the last. And as I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about the narrative that I want my son to grow up into and live, I have to choose my next words carefully. Because if I tell them the narrative that I was taught, and if I tell them the narrative that most East Texas guys are taught, everybody's fighting. So I look at them. We're in the bathroom. And I say, son, you just have to take it. You just got to take it. And you keep taking it. And you turn that other cheek. And when it hurts, you keep taking it. And only, only if there's no way out. You protect yourself and you get out of there as quick as possible. But you take it. Because I think he needs to be impressed on his heart in that moment, what Jesus was talking about. And there it's woven into our rhythm, our day. But I, I think it looks like this. See, I get, to, I get to kind of tell some good stories about me. I'll tell a, a bad story, a, a not-so-great moment, because we can be overwhelmed with, with, am I doing it right? Growing up, when I was 16, 17 years old, you, you guys know that I was, I was in a children's home. My parents were house parents. And at this particular time in our life, we had uh, a a therapeutic cottage, a a little bit more sensitive kids sensitive cases. I can remember being at dinner one night and and a a dining table chair went out the window because a kid was just, he was hurting. And so, like any 16-year-old boy, I found that the best place to eat my food, my dinner, was on a TV tray in front of the TV in our own little area. And so for the next several years, on into to college, I would sit at the TV tray and watch TV and eat dinner. When I became a family man, we sat at TV trays and we watched TV as we ate dinner. And over those years, I missed out on allowing God to be woven into our rhythm for conversations to take place at the table of how their day was, how things were going. And it wasn't up until this new move recently that we started eating at our dinner table. That was just a year ago. And we don't do it enough. And we're not too sure how it looks and how it feels. We kind of, we eat fast. (laughs) But conversations got to take place. One of the things that we saw at Bowles that was the best moment for impressing on kids' lives was any time that you had to take a kid to a doctor visit. It's you and this kid in the passenger seat. You're both looking forward, and for some reason, in that moment, some of the best conversations about God and their life took place. So when you're taking your kid to school in the morning, are you weaving God into the rhythm? Is his conversations coming into play? And I'm not just talking about one of those as your kid opens the door and walks out to the... To, to the school, you say, make good choices. It's, it's more than that. It's God woven into your rhythm. What are on your walls? What's on your mirror in your bathroom? What conversations do you have when you're dealing with things? So may we be a people that walks into our houses and we see show kindness. Because we need to be reminded. We're going we're gonna to change things up. Kyle, sorry. You're expecting to do an invitation song right now. I already talked with Stacy. We're going to go ahead and dive into our communion thought. And then after communion, I'm going to jump back up here. And, uh, and we'll have an invitation time. But we have woven communion. The remembrance of what Jesus has done. And to what we do here on Sundays. Uh, and some of it might seem strange if, you, if you, you're visiting with us, like what was this little bitty cup of juice? Is that some kind of medicine I don't know about? There's something that's taking place. We're remembering what God's done. Let's have a song and then Ross also- will. I think we're afraid of, uh, of messing up. I think we're afraid of making mistakes, and especially when it comes to our kids, I think we're afraid that we're gonna, we're gonna do it wrong. Uh, take for instance, when, when you think about some of the questions that your kids have asked, you know those moments where they come in and they're sitting there, you're, you're driving in the car and they, they say, hey, hey dad, uh, I was wondering about this. And then you just fill in the blank with all kinds of uh, All kinds of questions from some really deep theology questions of God that's hard to answer to how their body's changing. And you you say, how about you go ask your mom when we get home? (laughs) Because we're afraid to mess up. We're afraid to say it wrong. And your mom says, or their mom says, why don't you go ask your dad? And the kid's kind of just left alone, right? And, And that fear of doing it wrong kind of freezes us at times or the regrets that we we haven't done it how how do we start praying in our meals we've just kinda turned on the remote and that kinda bless the food somehow right how do we start that fear of messing up kinda freezes us I got to go to a conference uh, a couple years ago and this guy named Richard Beck uh he was, he was speaking, and he said, you know, this is, this is what I know. I know that this is a really, really hard world to live in. And there are some really, really, really tough things to deal with. And sometimes I just don't know what to do. And I think when I die and I go to heaven, God's going to look at me and say, Richard, I know that, that world that you were in is really, really tough. And it was really, really hard. It was really, really difficult. But you did your best. So, if you're worried about making a mistake, take a deep breath. God just wants your best. During this time, it's it's a time of invitation. Uh, Invitation is communal. It's, it's done in community among other people. Traditionally, we've seen it where people come forward and talk about, hey, I, I'm dealing with this. But most of us are not people that can step out in that aisle in front of people. This is kind of a scary area up here because all eyes are on us. But it's still communal. So it might be that you need To talk with one of your friends that are in this room and say, I'm scared. I'm afraid of messing up. I don't know how to do this parenting thing and and weave God into our lives because we're so busy and we haven't done well. Where do I even begin? You can do that with people around you in the aisles. Maybe, you know what, I've I've just plum messed up in my life. And I don't know if there's forgiveness and you feel an X, Y, Z. And if they're right, they'll be saying, no, there is. Because God's forgiven me. So either come down here as we stand and sing. Think about talking with somebody in the aisles. Or call somebody when you get home. But we're not in this alone. We have widened our circle. Let's sing.